Hello and welcome to Only Fools and Brotherly Forces, the English television comedy rewatch podcast with me, Bobby, and as always, my brother, Jamie. Good evening, Jamie. Good evening, mate. I'm a little bit angry. I actually feel like I had an intro for this for no reason whatsoever, and it was your turn, so it's going to get wasted. Probably forget it by next week. (laughs) We have a brand new series to discuss. We're talking about series one of Black Books, the comedy uh, that had three seasons between 2000 and 2004. We've been looking forward to this one. Yeah, it feel, as every time, because we're now doing these on the monthly, it feels like an age. So I, I feel like I have to relearn every time we set up now. It's a pain in the ass. We did plan to record last week, but Bobby was busy. And then this week I've been mental busy myself. So it's <laughs> it's just need to get some more under the belt so we can uh, get it a bit more consistent. Yeah, we thought this giving ourselves a month thing would make it easy, but apparently it hasn't really helped at all because we're still struggling. <laughs> So what have you been busy doing, Jay? Uh, well, I'm going to put a bit of a very small, shameless plug in there. So as I've hinted at on some episodes, I do a fair amount of photography and wildlife photography or that sort of stuff. And I just uh, completed a project I had in mind for a while, which is like a photographer profile and wildlife conservation uh, YouTube vlog video style thing. It's called In the Field. If you have any interest into wildlife or photography or all that fun-loving stuff, then uh, check it out. It'll be uh, In the Field with Jamie Hall, or you can look for like Jamie Hall Definitive Imaging, which is sort of my photography handle, as you were. So you'll, you'll find that on all the social medias and stuff. I, I have very little... Well, I, I have but passing interest in the uh, the conservation stuff uh, like yourself and have little to no interest in photography. However, I still very much enjoyed it. Uh, you are uh, annoyingly good at making things look good as well as you are making them sound good in our podcast. I can really is, polish a turd. You really can. I mean, you've been proving that for 80-odd episodes <laughs> of our podcast. So <laughs> absolutely, it looks and sounds lovely. Uh, so yeah, I, I I would also endorse that. Thank you very much. Um, but back back to the matter at hand. Well, actually, before we go into the matter at hand, just a almost housekeeping thing. We got a, a particularly uh, nice review last month, which caught my eye. Um, I probably should have read this name before I tried to read it, but it's Timo Bertuous, I believe it says, um, and he gave us a nice five star review. But uh, more importantly had said that it would really helped him through some of the challenging times over the last year. And uh, I think that that's massive for me to hear that. Like everyone's really had some struggles. So to think that anyone's been, you know, had life a little bit easier because they've lost time in our podcast, listening to us talk trash is, uh, is wicked. I'm really, really happy to hear that. So, so thanks for the, uh, the message in the review. It's greatly appreciated. Yeah, that is awesome. We- Always love hearing things like that. Is uh, there is absolutely nothing better. Uh, so yeah, today it is Black Books. Um, a, I mean, it's a cult comedy series. There is oh, no yeah. other way to describe it. This was one that I discovered around probably two thousand and eleven. No, earlier than that. That's a complete lie. Two thousand eight, I reckon. Two thousand eight. I probably started watching this while at uni. I never really thought of it as a cult thing. I just thought it. I thought it was reasonably mainstream. Well, I mean, it's it's a BBC Two comedy, so that limits how cult it can be. But I mean, you, I think of things like this and Spaced, which isn't something I've watched. And I mean, uh, 
Mighty Boosh and stuff. These are more like, they're a bit more edgy. Niche. Yeah, and a bit more niche. I mean, this is this is a proper comedy. There, There is it's nothing like Goodnight Sweetheart, which was very plotty and drama-like. I mean, this is a... This is a studio comedy. And there's a lot of jokes that everyone would get, but it is also pretty weird in places. It's massively surreal in a lot of places. So this is a series written by uh, Dylan, mostly by Dylan Moran, who is, of course, the person who plays the main character, Bernard Black. Bernard Black. Um, so I, I was looking at some interviews and stuff, and I found one with the other writer, Glenn, Graham Linham, or Linham. Linham? Linham? He's... He's Irish, Linum, Linum. It's probably Linen. Anyway, my mate Graham, <laughs> yeah. he of uh, Father Ted and IT Crowd fame. He was the writer of both those shows. Now I- I'd assumed they'd, they'd written this show together because I saw them both getting writing credits. But in this interview, he said the show was essentially written before he came on board. Like Dylan Moran had written it. They'd even done some uh, like pilot performances of it. Bill Bailey was already on board. It was essentially done, but. Basically, uh, Graham's job was to come in and just tone it the hell down because he said it was just... <laughs> Make it a bit palatable. It was, he said it was mad. He said it was like 20 students die in the first... Kill themselves in the first episode. <laughs> like, it was just... It was proper mad. And that's what he said to Dylan Moran. He's like, you just need to calm this right down. It's mental. But... <laughs> I actually read a bit about the, the pilot as well. They did actually record a pilot... And I went on to one of the uh, the forums and this guy on there said that he emailed Channel 4 about it and they replied saying that they didn't actually own the rights to the pilot and that if he recalled correctly, it actually belonged to Dylan Moran and co. So it, it probably does exist somewhere, a pilot, but it's it's never seen the light of day. I, I would love to see that because it is, I could totally see how this was something a lot more mental that's been toned down. I think it it still has that in its DNA, that essence of insanity, of surrealism is there, but then it's just brought slightly into the real world. The balance is brilliant. Yeah, that that's one of the tricks of this show for sure, and this sounds a bit like a, a epilogue thing to say, but they do get the balance really right, and it's something that, that I'll definitely be talking about, about through mm. this uh through this pod, they they really balance the surreal and the sort of believability and and the madness quite well, or at least uh, your mate Graham did. Uh, just a couple of little random bits of uh, trivia-y things. So uh, rankings in Channel 4's The World's Greatest Comedy Characters poll, you know, that famous uh, poll, Ooh. Bernard Black was voted 19th, which is not bad at all. That's pretty, I mean, there's a lot of those you're up against. Yeah, that's, I know. That's good. That's pretty good. Uh, the show itself ranked 58th out of 100 of BBC's best British sitcom polls. So, you know... It's a bit harsh. Yeah, it does seem a little bit harsh. But again, this, this, we're talking about years and years and years of stuff here. But the the, the character of Bernard is is clearly punching a much further above the weight of the uh, the show itself, which probably is un, isn't unfair to say Dylan Rand just steals it the whole time completely fair absolutely uh one other thing that i read was um bernard the character of bernard is inspired by a real bookshop owner who uh dylan ran encountered in ireland and he said uh he looked like he had swallowed a cup of sour milk and peed himself at the same time he had this green 
bilious expression, years of displeasure have shaped his face. Wow, that is beautiful image. Yeah, which is definitely a good summary for Bernard Black. I mean, it totally makes sense in the same way that, um, you know, Faulty Towers was inspired by a horrible hotel manager. Um, I, I've actually stayed at that hotel. Faulty no, Towers? No, no, in fact. Uh, not, well, no, because Faulty Towers is um, the hotel that Monty Python cast stayed at is called the... What are you talking about Monty Python for? You're talking about Faulty Towers a second ago, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the Monty Python cast stayed in a hotel and uh, oh. this had it in Torquay right. and it had this mental hotel manager so you stayed and, at the hotel where the idea of 40 towers yes. was born from. and i've now forgotten what the hell it's something eagle <laughs> something, why something have you eagle. stayed there uh i stayed there because um uh, a friend of mine were going to watch wanted to watch uh, jimmy carr live and uh we we it was a last minute thing we had a free weekend and he was playing in Torquay and we're like should we should we go down to Torquay for the weekend and watch Jimmy Carr live? Why not? <laughs> and uh, then there was a, a room at the Glen Eagle, I think it might be. I think it might be Glen Eagles. Uh, and there was a room there, so we stayed there as like a so it's just a weird comedy weekend. Nice. Yeah, pretty random. Mum actually went to, and this is we, we're going to get into the into the the meat of this at some point. Uh, but no rush. Mum, uh, the smother went to this like faulty towers experience where you go out and dine, and they have professional actors playing faulty towers and man well, and you you do dinner and dine. You you are having the food. Do you remember this? You, I'm not sure no, if you recall it. I I vaguely recall it. Um, but yeah, so they come out and they basically half of it is reenacted scenes, but then some of it is not necessarily improv, but obviously written around. But it's obviously quite loud and brash. It's almost like a an a, a, an encumbersome stage show, but you're on the stage with the performers as they're actually serving you food. So it's pretty random. But she said she loved it. I mean, at some point. 40 Towers is on the list, and we have to retell all these stories, but that's fine. They're good stories. <laughs> that's a good point. We should <laughs> we should save the stories for when they actually come up. My, my point was a bit that the um, the whole idea of him being based on a real character, I totally get. And it, and it really made me think of something we've mentioned before in Only Fools, which was, you know, um, the old Mitchell and Webb sketch about people who are still unexplainably bookshop owners. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's just that there are people like this out there who just work in these customer facing jobs and they hate people like we we all know these people Obviously, yeah i'm one of them a... <laughs> i've done enough customer facing stuff i despise it <laughs> yeah exactly but i mean you, you wouldn't like re- these are people that have reached an age where they're literally setting it for life despite hating it <laughs> well one more thing to talk about uh before we get into it and that is the beverages of choice um i as soon as I knew we were doing this, had the idea to possibly be drinking wine and decided that it was very much feeling like a wine evening. So I am drinking wine and I believe it's the, it's, I'm pretty sure it's the first time I've drunk wine and I think it's the first time that we've both drunk wine on the podcast. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love wine, but really these days I only drink wine with food. So yeah, I've never had wine on the pod. But I have really kind of pushed the boat out. Um, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, well, I've had this bottle for a couple of months. I've taken it out with me on uh, like visits to friends on three occasions and then never opened it because I was drinking loads of other stuff. 
So just taking it to see the sights. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> for myself, and this is the first time I've ever drunk for myself, I will be drinking Chateau Neuf de Pape. Hey, <laughs> well done. Um, Good which effort. obviously is a, a nice little uh, nod to one of the early episodes where they drink very expensive wine as well. So I am bang in the mood. Uh, now I've just poured myself this Chateau Neuf that's been breathing for half an hour. Not just beer ponces, but wine ponces as well, apparently. Um, yeah, yeah, we we can ponce about all alcohol, that's fine. <laughs> I think uh, we'll get into Black Books, Series 1. Let's do it. So first things first, Bob, uh, theme tune, opening credits, what do you think? Yeah, it's, um, it, so it's deliberately dreary. I mean, mm. let's say that, that seems to be the idea. I mean, it, a lot of these shows around this era, I think have these incredibly kind of low budget kind of naff intros. And the, the, the main thing I would have liked to have been different is I would have liked some Bill Bailey music. I think that's the, that's the trick they missed, <laughs> uh, because it isn't. It definitely isn't him. It's he doesn't get any credit for it, and, and it is just a a mere piece of droning. But it does kind of set the mood, so it it works. Although it's incredibly forgettable. It is like someone got in a uh, a professional musician and literally paid him for ten minutes' work and said, "Just do something that's a little bit horrible and a little bit boring with a little bit of twanging in." Yeah, the, yeah, cool. That'll do. Stick it in there. It's, it's it's there's no no frills, yeah. And then just faded images of the bookshop and random chalk scribblings on what might be a quirky art window. I mean, it it's complete. I've forgotten it already. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know it's appropriate. And we open in a bookshop. Uh, it's funny. This only came out one year after Notting Hill as well, which is. Also, another film with the idea of someone owning a quaint little bookshop in London, uh, which I imagine there are incredibly few of these days with uh, sort of you know, the Amazons of the world around. But it, it's a very cosy idea, these little boutique shops uh, in and around London and stuff. Uh, but this is not a little quaint, cosy boutique. Yeah, uh, it is run by a psychopath, uh, <laughs> Bernard Black, whose character gets established very well in the first minute when basically someone wants to buy him a book and he can't get him out of the shop fast enough and doesn't want to sell him a book. And then Manny comes in irate as hell uh, looking for this book. And there's just a great play on them for comic timing straight away. They really bounce off each other so well and, and complement this madhouse. And it's just there straight away. And it just gets madder and madder. Yeah, I, I mean... Bernard's character is kind of brilliant in as much as the whole business of buying and selling infuriates him. It's just all all way too much like hard work. I mean, he's you know if he sells something, that means he's then going to have to buy new stuff to replace it. He gets furious at Manny later when he actually sells books. He's like, oh, now I've got to buy more books. There's another episode towards the end of the series where he's guys trying to sell him some books. He's just like, I don't if I, if I buy them, I've then got to price them up and put them on. The whole 
cycle begins and it's never ending and he just he just hates the whole business he just wants to sit there and read a book surrounded by books and but he in order to facilitate that lifestyle he does occasionally have to sell something as much as it pains him we get tamsin Grieg in there pretty early as well um she owns a just an absolute shit show of a shop that sells all sorts of ridiculous things and she rounds that up perfectly one of her first lines of dialogue is i do sell a lot of wank <laughs> which is just brilliant yeah and this is another thing there was a lot of at the time and uh you know harry enfield uh in one of his later programs he had this whole running thing about shops that just sell misc wank to idiots uh when no one really knows what any of it is and it's just one of those shops it it weirdly just stops existing i think after the first series without any explanation i seem to recall uh this isn't like a a regular thing but it appears quite a lot in the first episode and is occasionally referred to throughout the uh series but it it's not a big part of the show is tamsin griggs tamsin griggs shop no um i was wondering uh you you mentioned space earlier. One of the things that I saw quite a bit online was this was referred to as basically the sister show to Spaced, which you know it, it has a lot of the same characters sometimes as cameos, but sometimes actually as as more mm. other characters like Bill Bailey's in Space um, as well. And I, I was curious as to how much Bill Bailey was around before this because he's obviously doing both of these shows sort of fairly close. And he, he hadn't done very much, really. Not, not really much noteworthy before this and or space, which was marginally before this. But he did have one show. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's called Is It Bill Bailey? Um, in 1998. And it's just, it's, it's really weird. I have never heard of that. It looks like the set of Stars in Their Eyes or something. I don't know. It's a bit weird. <laughs> And uh, he comes on and tells random jokes. I think he does some sketches as well and then plays some music. It's not bad. You can find it on YouTube. It's pretty low resolution, but it's uh, it's quite watchable. But you can really see that it's just showing the signs of early Bill Bailey. And uh, it's very watchable. Uh, interesting. It's a, um, it's a one series show, which always says a lot. But... <laughs> <laughs> But that's cool. Yeah, I mean, you've got. Uh, I mean, Simon Pegg. I think has a um, has a cameo. Nick Frost has a cameo, um, and th- th- there are a lot of cameos without throughout the show. I mean, the writer as well, um, Graham Linham, has two in the first series. Oh, really? Playing different playing different characters. Who's yeah, he he's in in the second episode, he plays a uh, a guy who loves books and comes in to buy a book from Manny. And then in the final episode, or the one before that, I've got it written there somewhere. But he's he's in another one with another again, same sort of cameo. He just, well, yeah, that's it. He wanders in and he's um he buys something from Bernard when he's working at the uh, burger shop. Oh right, okay, random. That's that's him. Uh, so yeah, he he's got two cameos in it, but he does that a lot. He cameos in um, IT Crowd as well, if I if I remember rightly. Oh, right. uh, I think he does a fair bit of that, but. Uh, I tell you what's weird, Bill Bailey, he's he's 35 in this. I mean, he basically looks, I don't know if it's a a compliment to say he doesn't look that different now, because that's to imply he still looks as young as he did then. But I think part of the problem was he just looked 50 then. (laughs) 
Is that unfair? Quite the receding hairline. <laughs> yeah, the hairline's a lot to do with it. and But even just the beard and the styling as well. The, uh, everything about him. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, actually. At 35, that's basically my age. I am I am 34 next week. And uh, I mean, I, I'm, I am a big hairy boy. But I don't think that I look as old as he does. No, no way. I, I think the idea that you and this person, Manny, the character would have been of the same age, I find very difficult to, to fathom. Kind of weird. I hadn't thought about that, actually. 35. Because it, it comes up in an episode. He says he's 35, and I was like, and the rest, mate. That can't be your actual age. I googled it. I was like, oh, it actually is. Oh, wow. Who knew? One of the things we learn pretty early is um, Dylan Moran's or Bernard Black's uh, just randomness. And for me, this is really apparent in Dylan Moran's stand-up. And it's one of those things that it's just impossible to fake. Like, I think anyone who pretends to want to start comedy or write a stand-up show, you know, in their living room, that they'll always write something that, that appears surreal or random, but it always feels massively contrived. But for me, Moran's uh, genius is to do the most ridiculously random things that don't fit together at all and make it sound funny, like effortlessly funny and laugh at it. Like it's so hard to take take two situations or two things that do not make any sense and then draw comedy out of it. It it kind of maddens me really. Not not only is that everything he says incredibly clever and incredibly funny, but also his delivery is just so unique. Like he always sounds absolutely battered, even now, and he's he's teetotal now. I, I've watched uh, stand up from him a couple of years ago, and he still sounds drunk all the time, even though I read he's been teetotal just since he's Irish. Yeah, that, that's part of it. But he also has this very like this. I mean, I've met a lot of Irish people that don't sound anything like that in terms of just the actual way of speaking. He just he slurs his words and has a very slow mouth, but a very fast brain. <laughs> And so it, it's like his chin can't quite keep up with his brain because his chin just kind of like flops around and this just genius is just falling out of it all the time. And it just makes everything he says absolutely hilarious. And and, and, and he seems as... He is he is both... He knows he's mad. So the, the character says in, in one of the early episodes, like, he's completely aware he's a freak. Yet he is also... He's aware he's a freak, but because he's a freak, he always finds the he also finds the rest of the world to be completely insane. So he he just looks at the world in this very weird way. It's just like what none of this makes sense. None of the world makes sense. One of uh, it's just like one that one of his tricks can you can, he can do is take a joke that seems to set up really obvious and then go somewhere that you just would not have thought about. And one one of the early ones is he, he's trying to do his um, accounts or taxes or whatever, and he's like, Mother's Maiden name. He goes, Mother's Maiden's name, and you're thinking, oh, my God, what's the joke going to be? He goes, what's the first name? I just called her Ma. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, it's so simple and kind of staring you in the face, but also ridiculous. <laughs> I just love the trick that he pulls there. The the whole thing about him doing his accounts is absolutely brilliant, and the way he reads out the um the list of things that no one understands because it is just like anyone who's ever filled out like kind of government paperwork. It's like if you live in a council flat by a river and are not blind, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it, it, none of it makes any sense, and it's just 
The, yeah, the more you awesome. read it, the less you understand. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things I noticed in this first episode, which uh, kind of intrigued me, and this is a super subtle read, so I don't know if you noticed it, um, but I'm watching it on Netflix. Did you watch it on Netflix? I did. Cool, perfect. So assuming that most probably would watch it on Netflix, around the 13-minute mark on the first episode, the uh, dialogue is basically cut short. Like, we're talking a second, 90 or 90, 90 seconds, a second or a second and a half here. But for me, it was really obvious. This is this is just kind of the things that I noticed when there's super subtle differences in any TV or film from what I remember. There's a weird cut, right? Yeah, a really weird cut. I think I recall that. Uh, so the great thing is, because this series is available on multiple platforms, I went over to all four because I just had to know what Ooh. was going on. Unfortunately, the answer is completely uninteresting. Um, it isn't cut for profanity or parental advice or anything. It's because the interlude is hard-coded into the uh, show. So when you watch an oh. E4, it goes boom, 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 actually over his dialogue, and that's hard-coded there. So because Netflix huh. doesn't have breaks, they can't. They would have to then go to the the cuts the cut screen as it were, which would be really weird for Netflix. So they just cut it before the music comes in, which is almost a bit more weird. But if you don't know the episode inside and out, you probably wouldn't notice. But kind of weird how that happened. You get that sort of thing a lot on old TV. Like I always find it when watching, um, you know, like Star Trek: Next Generation is the classic. The you know several times throughout an episode they'll just fade to black very ominously and then just fade up again in the exact same place and when you're watching stuff on netflix that just seems weird and anyone who grew up like anyone who's kind of under 20 now would just be like why do they keep doing that just kind of fade into black and fading back in again that's that's a a very much of its time thing to do with telly that you would never ever do now even with stuff that is on tv with breaks you would never have it so harsh you would end a scene and put a break in. You wouldn't just fade to black mid-scene and fade up again. Speaking of breaks, I think we should have a break. Why not? Let's break. I need to refill my glass. So a little bit in danger of this basically just being an hour of us laughing at this comedy and, and praising it. This is something that we considered when we when we looked to start a new project and we were contemplating loads of stuff to do, we were a little bit conscious that if you just have a pure comedy that doesn't have, you know, a, a really sort of dramatical or heavy storylined plot, one of the things Bobby said to me a long time ago is you try and do a podcast about a pure comedy, you're, you're basically just repeating lines. Like, it, it's hard to mm. be funnier than the comedy. So this was definitely a bit of a... This was a bit more nervous for me to talk about this because this is just a pure comedy, and... Not only that, but I love it so much. So I kind of, so I kind of feel like we're in a bit in danger of just basically praising this for an hour and talking about all the good stuff for it. That there's, there's not a lot of heavy plot. We're not really like analysing the progression of the characters and their humanity. But it is just a pure comedy, so it's hard not to just talk about the great choices made by the writers and the actors and and why it's so loved. But it's a bit different for us. Yeah, there's definitely an element of that. You haven't got some of the um, 
uh, the pop culture things that make looking at an old series interesting because this isn't that old and uh, there's no real kind of history elements or stuff like that. Um, so we are looking to just kind of, you know, critique the show itself. I mean, there, there were things I thought about it that I didn't absolutely love. I definitely have not issues, but things I thought didn't work great. I, I really struggled with Manny in that first episode, the whole kind of idea. I didn't find very good I don't the, know, just, the hippie sort of element you mean or yeah the whole idea of him swallowing the little book of calm and stuff was just really <laughs> it was it seemed like a funny joke on paper that i don't know if it was the way bill bailey did it or the way it was directed or anything but it kind of the whole thing was just a bit i don't know that the first time that you ever see this show and this is the first episode do you think you have that opinion or is it just because now that you know it so well it seems like a a weaker concept I think because when I watched this show for the first time, I knew and really liked Bill Bailey. And I remember getting to the end of like the first couple of episodes and being like, I like Bill Bailey's stuff with Dylan Moran, but a lot of the stuff that he's given to do on his own without Dylan Moran, I'm not always sure it actually works. I'm not, I'm not sure if he is a great actor. I think he. I'm not sure. That, I'm not sure this suits his skills because I'm a huge fan of Bill Bailey. I think he's outstanding, but I do. I do find him a little awkward when he's dealing with um, any character that isn't uh, Bernard Black, basically, or on his own, uh, or he's given like a moment to do. I find him a little bit corny and not necessarily in a good way. Like I don't. I don't. I don't think it's great, but his comedy stuff with. And like you say, the chemistry with uh, with Bernard is is fantastic. I think this whole show is kind of a <clears throat> a show of two halves, as it were. And I'm, I'm, I just glanced at my wine and conscious that I'm drinking it as fast as I'm drinking beer. So <laughs> I need to slow down. Um, but the Bill Bailey, I, I think even even in his stand up, he has moments of being quite awkward and like not being on the money with stuff like it isn't all gold with bill bailey he he does have he always has some weaker stuff in his stand-up when he does when he is doing acting and other stuff there some of it can feel a bit more contrived and i feel like that with with this show there's like some really crazy stuff in there and then some really sane stuff some of the surrealism and the acting is it's almost like hammy at some places. Yeah, it, uh, that's, that's exactly what I think. Which is a weird thing to say when such weird shit is going on. You kind of feel like you should have evolved beyond the possibility of ham. But when, for, for the best example is when you've got, uh, they're making the, the wine. So there's the episode where they drink this crazy expensive wine and they are trying to uh, recreate it. So it's this kind of... Uh, evil doctor and his kind of like weird henchman sidekick and you've got bill bailey who's for some a, a series of unfortunate events is now like hunchbacked and got a crooked eye and he's hurt his tooth and he's kind of all of that is kind of awkward like i see the joke they're trying to do but i'm not i don't really feel like it's working but bernard is also playing mad scientist and being completely mental and he is hilarious absolutely <laughs> brilliant and it just and it so you've got the two side by side and it's kind of like i, I kind of buy that but i don't really know if i buy that but bill, bill bailey definitely stands out as being the more hammy because he is bill bailey is acting whereas dylan moran is basically just being dylan moran 
Like he 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 isn't acting nearly as much as everyone else in the show. <laughs> no, definitely not. I mean that everything he does is just it's just absolutely brilliant. I mean that that episode was uh, was very weird for a multitude of reasons. I mean there was. Uh, the fact that the fact that they had an acquaintance that they would house it for, based on everything we knew about the characters so far, was completely unfathomable. Especially someone that would own hundreds and hundreds of pounds worth of wine. Uh, there was this um, at, at the start of the episode. They talk about some prophecy of grapes growing from roses, and this 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 whole thing. And I tried to Google it to see if this was a thing if there was some like grape wine prophecy however if i googled prophecy wine rose all i found was a rose wine from tesco's called prophecy <laughs> <laughs> so i'm just gonna find that's, that's the state of the world we live in now 299 really bargain bucket <laughs> prophecy. it was all i could find i tried so many different ways to use it I was like, i've got to use the word rose and i have to use the word prophecy and i'm only ever going to find this wine <laughs> It's, I was actually, I wrote a note about that, um, sort of going back to the start of that episode. So the, the episode uh, opens with this random French scene, as Bobby said. Uh, it, it's kind of like a monastery, I guess. I don't it's know. a monastery, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's all in French. And the, it, there's this, it kind of is brilliant, but it's very period of whatever period it is. Um, but it's kind of a bold thing to do in the middle of this uh series as well like it, the, it was, the, the, it's kind of bringing that surrealism again but to set up the premise of the show with a old school as you like monastery thing as as the intro is it, it's really weird but it works brilliantly well i mean not only is it weird it's also completely unnecessary <laughs> it, it it barely gets called back to because the only reason for that scene is to explain that some of the wine in this cellar that they then drink is, you know, monumentally rare. But then when they drink it, apparently it's only worth about they they re, they find it in a book. It's only worth a few thousand pounds. Seven grand. Is, yeah, it's like okay, that's a lot for wine, but that's not like that, that that's not miracle wine, which is <laughs> yeah. what like you know. I mean, seven thousand pounds is a pretty cheap miracle where I'm from. Like, <laughs> no, I had exactly the same thought. So, uh, it's it it doesn't even work. It makes no sense whatsoever. It's it, it's completely unnecessary. I'm still really happy it's there though. The way that the way that the the head honcho vicar, whatever his name is, king vicar, um, monk, uh, king monk, he he gets the uh, the grapes and sort of munches them. And it's like almost having this sort of climactic orgasm while he's he weeping. sucks these. <laughs> he's weeping. That that happens at orgasm. But <laughs> it, I, I don't know. I just loved it. I thought it was, it, again, just I do really love the surrealism in this. And it doesn't matter if it's within one, one word or one sentence of a of a simple joke, whether it's the, the whole theme of the episode or or sort of little segue tidbits in it all all of that surrealism somehow just it it kind of just makes me really happy i don't know why just stepping out of the real world and having that sort of comfort to do something random and brilliant um it's just great and again it just such a a card of dylan moran's to be able to do that 
I think one of the other, uh, I, we could of course go into detail about every episode, but one of the other main episodes that I wanted to go into a bit of detail on just because I found some interesting trivia about it. So there was an episode called The Blackout, and it starts with... Um, what episode number is that? This is five. Oh, wow. No, four. One, two, three, four. Four. Okay. Episode four, The Blackout. Cool. This starts with the idea that Manny has been given uh, an espresso machine and the full... <laughs> Box set of the Sweeney. Now, did you know what the Sweeney was? Yeah, did you not? I didn't. Oh, so I had, the smaller talks g- about it all the time. Yeah, well, I see. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's John Thor who was Morse. I know him more as Morse. Um, but do you know why the show is called the Sweeney? Yeah, um, I, I do. It's it's one of those things that's reasonably well known, especially if you're over fifty years old. Um, but I, but for the life of me, I can't remember in this instance. So feel free to rejog my memory. Also, well, the Sweeney is the is is Cockney rhyming slang Sweeney Todd for flying squad. Ah, yeah, that sounds about right. So uh, d- uh, the flying squad is something I've heard talked about many times and seems to come up. And it's like the flying squad, and it all sounds very cool and almost surreal. But it, it's obviously a real thing. Do you know why it's called the flying squad? Now we're getting get- to something that I didn't know. It's funny, this this obviously is brought up by In Only Fools by David Jason as well, and is sort of a, a pop culture thing to mention, but I I actually don't know what it is. I just assume it's a regiment or a area of the police. Yeah, so it's a, it is like a, a faction of the police, and they're, they're called the Flying Squad because what made that, that kind of uh, group special was they could operate in all London districts irrelevant of kind of the the different ways they were spit oh. up they could kind of that's why they were the flying squad and it, it's a thing that started in in 1920 they were sort of um, inter boroughs as it were it, it, exactly it was something that could be what there was for the whole of London and they could do and it was for like organized crime and theft and stuff mostly theft I think um, but there was also a film that came out in 2012 called The Sweeney with Ray Winston and Ben Drew, a.k.a. Plan B. Now, it isn't particularly well rated and I don't remember it, so it's probably not worth watching. But I have seen it, I'm pretty sure. You've seen that, have you? Yeah, I think actually Ben Drew is actually quite a good actor, but I don't I don't recall the film at all, really. I mean, Ray Winston's a great actor as well, but having two good actors doesn't necessarily mean you have a good film. No, absolutely not. But uh, yeah, interesting. That so that that's my Sweeney trivia. Um, but that's that's a really weird episode because that's got a lot of Bill Bailey out on his own interacting with other people, and it's really weird. Although the character of the uh, of the of the real copper that he kind of interacts with in the episode when he gets uh, caught up pretending to be a copper, uh, that that guy is brilliant and absolutely dances the line between being completely straight faced but also kind of as a good foil to bill bailey's jokes uh i thought it was wicked uh, i really liked that that character he was one of my favorite char- uh, apart from the main three i think he was my favorite character in the in the whole series was that police officer who's who i am now going to look up and name check colin mcfarlane he played inspector norris in the blackout nice so it's funny that you bring that up because there's a couple of things from at uh, the the previous episode episode three that i thought was interesting that there's a few things that do kind of date this and and place it very much in that time and i was always going to say 90s then it kind of feels 90s but it is actually you know early early noughties but uh there's this moment where uh tamsin comes in 
smoking a fag and she's trying to like get the attention um of someone and look cool and i was like what what's the modern equivalent of that now that you can't walk into a public place and don't get me wrong smoking is not necessarily actually cool but you know when you but got, it was but when you got like Clint Eastwood or Frank Sinatra or whoever it might be, Michael Caine coming in and being a bit of a geezer, what's what's the what's the replacement for that? Some guy coming in with a vape and sucking that off, like oh, no, definitely not, isn't not that. nearly as cool, is it? No, no. I guess I guess like flashing some, you know, wearing some AirPods or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but one of my favourite uh, cameos, and it's a really small part, but I do really love it. Uh, and it's just for the the one word of dialogue that he has. I know what it is. <laughs> dirty. Yeah, that guy. Dirty. Dirty. <laughs> uh, this guy's in quite a few different things. I think yeah. he's. Also, I think he also is um, in some of Bill Bailey's stand up. I think he's done stuff with Bill Bailey directly, uh, pretending to be. This is if my if my face recognition is working in top form, which it normally is. But one of Bill Bailey's um, side pieces to his stand up is like this this German troupe who sing Germanic versions of of pop songs, and I'm pretty sure he's the uh, the head honcho of of that as well. But it, he's a bit of a a cameo character. He comes up and generally plays a a seedy person in quite a few things that he pops up in that that is a great little character i mean there are some really big names in this as well obviously we've said a couple as well from space and stuff you've also got david williams before he was famous oh is that Um, in this series uh yeah yeah he was in the sixth episode uh he just wanders into the shop um you've also got um omid jalali or jalili um i can never pronounce his name properly but you know the guy i mean he was in the last episode He's doing this the same year that he's in Gladiator. You've really had a fall from grace, I'm Lily. Well, no, it, it, I mean, it's the same. They came out the same year, so he, he filmed them probably at the same time. He's not had a chance to fall from anywhere. He just went in the same year. No, I mean, now. Go, I mean, where is Omid oh, Jalili from now? now? I've no idea, but he he's great in this and in... Um, and in Gladiator. So that, that was fun. And also one which is not even a cameo. I don't know if you spot this anywhere. But there's a guy who you just see him in the bar back when he's a complete nobody and he became a somebody much, much later. And we've actually talked about him before. Uh, and that is Bill Nye. Oh, right. Okay. No, I he, he's just he's in the bar in episode two. I, I, I saw it on um, on a on a like a trivia thing. He's not un- he's uncredited, but it, it's just back when Bill Nye, he was still despite being in his 40s, a, a complete nobody before his meteoric rise later in life. Yeah, Omid Jalili, um, his stand-up's always been a little bit weak. He he plays very much on his his heritage, which it can be a little bit damning for for some comedians. It, it feels a little bit lazy, I think. But his character actors that he does when he is playing someone of his heritage... Um, is is fantastic he his character in this which is a reasonably small character um is uh, although a big character for the episode is absolutely brilliant he he plays it so so well and i think uh it's definitely a time for one of those uh, important brotherly forces questions which is good montage or bad montage <laughs> 
you know what? It's bad, and the reason what? it well, I mean, it, it's amusing. However, this this whole episode is a bit weird because the whole episode is like, let's see how much how many jokes we can extract from human trafficking. <laughs> Do you know what? Um, so That's I watched, what it is. I, I watched these first episodes a couple of weeks ago and then hadn't watched it at all and then um, just ploughed through three about two hours ago. And um, I really liked this as the end. It really got me in the mood oh, for the Oh, really? Pod. Yeah, I don't... This Bill Bailey playing dress-up just had me in stitches. I don't know that... Bill Bailey does some stuff hammy, but some stuff he just absolutely nails. The lost little lamb look in his eyes as he's dressed up as bloody bow people, whatever it is. And you've got Ahmed Jalili like just coaxing this confidence out of him when he's trying to get those buttons undone. It's like that bit actually feels real like that that tiny little section in all this insanity you know he goes to put his camera away and he's like oh maybe you're you're not professional and then he kind of like doesn't look at him as as bill bailey starts to undo a button and it's like cool let's go let's go like i don't know i loved it i thought that was so good i mean look it, it is all very funny and i don't want to go all millennial on the podcast but <laughs> it, the, but it, it i think i i had very recently um read a quite a bit of stuff on this topic um and i think it was therefore a little bit difficult for me to ignore that to 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 go like this is all just about human trafficking this is quite no, it, this is really it, quite it's dark. funny i almost wrote trafficking but actually it's more about being pimped it's more about pimping than trafficking. Well, no, but that pimping is that is tra- human trafficking that's it's the same thing yeah, okay, it, it is the same thing. But if you say human trafficking, what what most people would think about is uh, taking one person and literally sending them somewhere else away from their home. Whereas this, yeah, is, pe- that's, yeah, that that is often what people think about. This would be mainly thought about, and it's not even pimping. Realistically, this is this is just taking photos of someone and selling it, which is a lot more harmless than either pimping or uh, or human trafficking. But then he does try to pimp him out at the end. Yeah, it's pimping light. It's diet pimping. Oh, you sure? It, well, call it what you like, but it it it's fine to like. It's fine to laugh at it. I'm not saying it's like a problem, but I think I mean put it this way: you wouldn't, you probably wouldn't be able to make that episode now. I think I think you'd struggle because uh, it would just be seen as you you can make a couple of jokes about something, but to literally base an entire thirty minute episode about trying to draw out as many jokes from a very sensitive subject as that i think you'd struggle to pull that off now this is this is a conversation that i don't really want to go into but I, i'm going to touch on it very slightly i am curious as to what realistically is fine and what is not fine like you talk about alternative comedy and uh being able to make light of situations like like you, either everything is taboo or nothing is taboo like from you kind of should you're not you're not laughing in the face of it it is merely the the backdrop to the comedy it's it's not everything is sensitive to somebody you're making fun of disability or blindness or cancer or whatever it would be like this this is just using that as a as a as a platform of vehicle it's not it's not directly harming it or speaking ill of it so it's kind of that that thing we talked about before about the Ricky Gervais sort of school of comedy. Like, you, say, I always have. I always think it's funny. I I hear it a lot in other podcasts. People say that that phrase. 
you couldn't get away with it now. And there are some things that obviously are bad, like blackface, for example. I came up on a podcast listening today. Obviously, that that literally can't be done. That would be ridiculously insensitive. But but some things like this, like can you not do that now? Is, can uh, can uh, you not do that yeah, now? My my problem is the amount of it for how long it goes on for. You can make a couple of jokes, and that's about literally anything. But this is like it goes on for a long time, and only ever finds the whole thing quite funny. And I just, I, I just think there's you, you. I think you'd struggle. I think you'd really struggle. I think it gets. I, I think you'd maybe need just to slightly tweak it a bit to maybe, just I don't know. You, you'd almost have to have like a a PSA in there of some description, just like some, some awareness of the seriousness of the topic. I think. What you mean because, after the show as a little BBC? If you no, no, I mean. I mean, a piece of dialogue within the show. I I just think there's something like you just need something just to say like uh, we are aware this is a serious subject. Like, you know, I don't know. I I think it's just it does goes that, on. Does, for that, a, does that then make it all right then if you just sort of give it a little a nod? Like we realize we realize we're taking the piss out of it, even though it is serious. Like, do you need to do that? You can do. Yeah, I think you totally can do. Um, that but there's ways to do it, and it's tough. And I'm I'm not a a, a maker of television therefore i don't have to worry about it because so, this is everyone's always argument to this like oh so what should they do then it's like i don't know i don't have to know it's not my job to know but i can have an opinion i can still <laughs> complain about it i can still say yeah. i don't like it i just don't need the solution i, I said I, I think it's i think it's fine i just uh the whole thing was a little bit like um it's on the edge uh, i guess yeah it, it, it was a little bit and it was weird that it was the last episode because for it because the whole thing whole show had been so just like a hundred percent funny for me, and that, and it was just a weird way for it to kind of round up. Although it was also incredibly weird that they mentioned in that same episode that two apparently very topical things to talk about was Beckham and Pokemon, and I was like, they're still about <laughs> <laughs> twenty five years later. That's still really topical. <laughs> it's funny, is it? Because I've I viewed that a completely different way. That this show is so surreal and mad, and just bouncing off the walls that they'd kind of earned and this doesn't sound right as i say it but they, they'd earned the right to do it as in they no, no, you, no, nothing is serious on this this is clearly a massive piss take and they've yeah. established that if they came out of that on the first episode you'd be like um but they kind of established that this is all just madness and, and you know what you're completely right because i do th- actually think although you think it's a weird sentence to say you do earn the right to joke about certain things context is key Mm. and you're right over over the course of a series they have built comedy context and therefore they can get away with a lot (laughs) but but i I mean just to just to kind of you know move on to something else one other thing i did notice that was really weird was there was quite a lot of reference it's got a lot of things that reminded me of other shows there is two or three jokes which are 100 percent repeated in um in the it crowd for example who, which have the same writer, which is definitely him just going, that was funny, I'll use that again, but just tweak it. So there's one point, for example, Fran goes on a date with a guy and he turns out to be gay, um, which, you know, and hilarity ensues. That exact same joke is used in uh, IT Crowd, oh, not uniquely, but just because it's got the same writer, it really stands out. And then there's also this whole big sequence where um, Bernard gets locked out of the shop and, uh, you know, he's having to, like, survive on nothing 
And that's also an episode of IT Crowd. Roy gets kicked out of the office without any ID or money. And that's like, and there's a montage. It, it, it's the exact same scene. Uh, and I find that interesting. And I was, I was wondering if, uh, if anyone at the time when it came out in IT Crowd thought it was cheating or if anyone cares and, and how much have you got to change to get away with it? Mm. At which point is it plagiarism? It's almost like... Well, uh, it's the same guy, so it's never plagiarism. Okay, at what point is it rehashing <laughs> old ideas? Yeah, it, well, it was instantly that. <laughs> it's funny that you say that. Uh, one of the notes that I made uh, quite a few times throughout these episodes and the, the bit I'll use to sort of give it context specifically is uh, when we have the uh, the dirty guy. Dirty. And Banny, Manny's in the kitchen and there is uh, just f- rubbish everywhere and one of the little takeaway tins moves and there's clearly rats and stuff in there and then a later episode when Manny's uh trying to do his survivalist stuff and he's he's um he's spit roasting the bees <laughs> yeah it's great <laughs> the, do you know what that reminded me of um that gave me real young ones vibes this this kind oh, of yeah. this kind of the their use of props mm. I thought was really interesting they they they're not quite as um, quite as poor as the young ones, but we're obviously, you know, forty years in the future. Not quite forty years, sorry, twenty years. No, in the future. twenty years. Yeah, we're forty years in the future now, but for this yeah, show, it's now 20 we're forty years. years yeah, um, <laughs> their the use of props is uh, sometimes uh, lame and and low budget, and sometimes brilliant and looks really real. But the way that it kind of plays into the story. And that kind of slapstick physicality of the props just really transported me to parts of young ones when you have uh, like animals talking and and different things interacting with the characters, almost like a cutaway to a a little uh, surrealism bit. And I I thought about the young ones a couple of times on this, and mm. and it had this sort of vibe of that again, just because of the surrealism. I keep saying that word, but but. It, it's something that is a huge part of this series that is one of the main reasons why I love it. And that's one of the reasons, main reasons why I love the young ones as well for the the exact same reason. I think you made a good point there, actually. There's definitely some, some mild young ones vibes in here. There's uh, no doubt about that. That's, uh, that's an interesting observation. I, uh, I hadn't really made that connection, but I, I do definitely agree. All right, well, we'll just head into the, uh, the last break and then we'll start to give a bit of a roundup of this show. So, we both hated it, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, never watching it again. I actually, you know, pulling back the curtain, I, I, uh, while waiting for you, who had other things to do, just let it ride and um, ended up watching the first episode of series two, uh, just because it Netflix let it play for me. And it's, (laughs) it's a shame because it's one of the best episodes of the entire series, purely for the fact that we get to watch Bill Bailey play piano. It's that episode um, called the entertainer. And um, Bill Bailey's musical talent is just, unfathomable i've actually seen bill bailey a few times i've seen him live two or three times once on an actual show and then once on one of those sort of 
um, pre-show comedy circuit that comedians do to try out new material. Oh yeah, warm, like a warm-up. Uh, uh, what's it? Work in progress. That sort of stuff. Um, yeah. Did it with friend of the podcast, Rich as it happens. And um, I mean, Bill Bill Bailey's hit or miss. You, any- you have got hit, other hit. friends, honest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bill Bailey's hit or miss anyway, but Bill Bailey, uh, let's try my new material, is, um, is ridiculous. He spent uh, about 10 minutes uh, saying one single word. And this was if this was improv as well. I think I think it was improv. He played an instrument called an oud. Uh, that's the name oud, and he just spent about ten minutes going. Is that an oud? Oud? Did you say oud? No, I said oud. And it just went on like that for hours. It just seemingly never ended. How are you spelling oud? No idea, mate. I didn't ask him to spell it. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Some sort of guitar-y thing, I think. O u d. Yeah, it looks like a a, a, a sitar. Something like that. So yeah. he played that. He could just play everything. Like I mean, if you if you're not aware of Bill Bailey or a fan of Bill Bailey or know much about him, but but listen to this podcast, try and check out some of his musical stuff. One of my favourite uh, things ever, quite genuinely, um, is um, Bill Bailey's. I think it's called the Introduction to the Orchestra or Introduction to Symphony Orchestra. And it's basically a stand-up show with Bill Bailey surrounded by, I think it's the BBC Symphony Orchestra. And he tells jokes, but also with orchestral masters uh, accompanying him. And it's just, I mean, that's two of my favourite things. I, I love music and old-school skilled orchestral stuff classic uh instruments and i love british comedy so those two things fused together are mental but it's a really really good bit of telly that is you ever seen nice, that yeah. Did you ever watch that uh i think i've seen bits i'm not sure if i've ever sat down and watched the whole thing but i mean i i do really like bill bailey i think he's very good and the the way he um weaves music into his uh into his routines is is brilliant and really really enjoyable the only problem with Bill Bailey, um, and I'm happy to say something negative because I think you you're the only person who said anything bad for this whole hour. But um, Bill Bailey, for me, because I kind of followed him from reasonably early, I guess, and watched all his live shows and other stuff. He uh, he does uh, regurgitate old material quite a bit, even in his stand up shows. If you watch sort of like five of his stand ups in a row. Like even some of that material crosses over from previous shows, which the guy is clever enough to not have to do that. But I think he just sort of falls into a comfort zone. But it's a bit of a shame because, you know, guys, most guys I know, most comedians I know who have an array of stand-up VHS or DVDs or specials, they they never cover the same material. That doesn't really happen, and uh, it's quite quite weird that that Bill Bailey does do that. I don't know if you have any experience of that, but it's something that, that I've always picked up on. I, I notice it a lot with um, comedians on telly reusing material all the time. Cause of course they don't write fresh stuff for appearances on, on like panel shows and stuff like that. So I see a lot of that, but yeah, you're right. When, when you do like a, a, a DVD recorded stand up show, then that'd be not, that would be uh normal that that would be mostly old, uh, mostly new material. I mean, I have I've listened to a lot of uh, interviews with comedians and stuff, and I've often heard them talk about how like a new show 
uh, you'll start off with maybe uh, 40% old material just to kind of have some stuff in there you know that works so you kind of if you lose the audience you've got something to fall back on and then as the show progresses you're kind of slowly phasing out old material and sort of bringing in new material as you kind of figure out what works to the point where by the time the show is completed it should be a brand new and complete show um so yeah that that's surprising that he would have some older stuff in in like a recorded stand-up that that is a surprise although i could listen to him do the um bbc news theme tune a billion times <laughs> the rave and, yeah best thing ever i love that all right so a couple of uh little trivia bits um from me that i probably would have put at the start but we went on for ages at the start so black books was uh was was a critical success it did win awards uh including two baftas it won for best sitcom in 2001 and 2005 and it also won a bros uh a bronze sorry bros a bronze rose <laughs> that's the wine talking at the uh, <laughs> festival rose dior which is nothing to do with football i don't really know what it means but it, it won some awards so it went it went pretty well did you know Tamsin Grieg was actually pregnant during the see, filming of the first series? A little bit of during trivia. the first series? Yeah, yeah, she was pregnant. Wow. I didn't know that. I've got a weird thing where I'm quite good at, I say it's not very hard most of the time, but I, I often spot that in other shows because it's very common in, especially like big American sitcoms where there's so many episodes. Yeah, at some point a female character is going to be pregnant if they're doing a big like 10 series show. So there's always, that's often a thing and they'll often not write it in, but it's always very obvious for the way they're like... Um, like a Brooklyn Nine-Nine, it's really obvious. Yeah, exactly. That was really, really obvious. And um, they, they had a couple of times in the office as well, where at the American office where it was pretty obvious. Um, and yeah, you, you often you often spot it, but uh, no, I had absolutely no idea. I, they, she must be very early doors because there's uh, no visual cues and they're not trying to hide any of her, you know belly or anything like that so uh yeah must be pretty early doors something that is like slapping you in the face painfully obvious and i never realized it's one of those things where you you read you read trivia and you you feel stupid like i i went to bed feeling bad for myself that i ever <laughs> picked up on this uh do you know manny's last name in this series it comes up once or twice it's Manny Bianco, which of, co- which of course is Italian for white, which is the counterpart to Bernard Black. To Black, yeah. I don't remember it ever coming up. Yeah, it comes up, I think, in the second or third series. Um, oh, okay, so it never comes up in the first series. It doesn't come up in the first series. Right, no, okay, that makes sense. I was going to say, I, I felt like I would have spotted that at the time, but yeah, I don't remember. Cause it, it has been probably about 10 years since I've watched this. It's one of the few. It's I think it's few, been six months since I watched this last. It's weirdly one of those few comedy like of this era, era kind of comedy shows that my missus just isn't a big fan of. I think the surrealism is a bit too much. Oh really? Um, yeah, it's just just oh, not. She's a huge got fan. a great sense of humour as well. I'm surprised. Yeah, no, it's it's surprising. We agree on huge amounts of of comedy series, and this is the one of the few that she's just like, yeah, I'm not really a big fan. Um, I hate that. I hate that when someone, as someone you love, not literally your lover, but someone you get on so well and so many things are right, and there's like something that is so pure, so, so painfully obviously good, and they're like, "Yeah, I don't get it." And you're like, "Yeah, but 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 look at 
all this good stuff. How can you not get it? Come on, you can get it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think of it as a fairly out there, and I'm not surprised that the kind of Venn diagram of many things that I like do not always cross over with... Th- this show tends to be more of an outlier. I wouldn't put it in my, like one of the core things I'd expect to bond with lots of people over. <laughs> you know, like, it's, it is a bit more out there. It is a little bit culty and a little bit niche. Mm. Um, and and one last thing from me before we go into some of our opinions and you give your trivia. Uh, like, like most stuff, the, the people always uh, want more. And there's only been a, really a couple of interviews uh, where someone's actually asked if it was ever coming back. But most recently in 2005, Digital Spy um, asked Moran about the show and if it would ever make a return. And his uh, response verbatim was, no, no, no. Does that answer your question? No. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> stated that he would rather focus on new projects, but also said that he would never do another studio sitcom again, which I'm not surprised about, but is a shame because I loved it in Ryan stand up, but I, I, God damn, I loved him as a character. I don't know how he could actually do any other character, but that character, I'm not sure if he's done anything else, but this, but um, it is a shame that, that, that it's categorically a no. Well, he, he's done, he's done a few other acting things. Like he was in um, uh, like Shaun of the Dead and like run fat boy run, like a few uh, Simon Pegg stuff. Uh, and a couple but largely of other bits. playing himself, like, like, like a, a characterization no, of himself. Not really. No playing like a pretty normal, boring, uh, boring geeky dude i think in both of them oh, actually really? yeah I, yeah um I, I see i don't remember him being in uh shawn of the dead i've yeah, only he seen pl- fat he plays um, the new boyfriend of simon Pegg's ex-girlfriend if i remember correctly and he's just so he's just like the other guy and he's a bit dull um it's a shame because dylan Rand does strike me as a bit of like a reclusive person in general he, he is clearly oh, actually a bit of a misanthropist um, but it's a shame because I'd love to see more from him in the sort of commercial and public eye. Like he is, uh, he's a little bit private and quiet and hasn't done a lot, which is a shame because I, I hold him in really high regard in, in terms of like comedians that I follow and admire. I feel mm. like, you know, some comedians that I love, I have loads of stuff that I can watch of them, whether it's like Rick Mayer or Aid Edmondson or David Jason or whatever. But Dylan Moran is, he could have done so much more. I don't, I don't uh, have a problem with someone if they've led an easy life, but it's a shame because I feel like I've been starved of more Dylan Moran. I'd, I'd like to have more of a catalogue there for him for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, to think that this is the only like proper studio comedy he ever wrote is—you uh, you do feel there's a lot more there, but then you really wonder how the relationship with the other writer really, really worked. Like, how how much was was Dylan reined in? <laughs> I do um, love that bit of trivia that you started with. <laughs> Twenty students killed. Them. Where did you find that? How did you find uh, it? That? In an interview with Gray with uh, Graham Linham on uh, on Black Books and yeah, well, on lots of things, but he spoke about Black Books for a bit of the interview, and he said and he said that like verbatim. Like that. God, I'm glad I'm glad you're doing these deep dives on this extra stuff, but that is madness. I would, I, do you know, I would actually love to see a uh, unencumbered, uncensored Moran, even if he's not in it. I just like he he <laughs> he, he could do a cartoon like a. Uh, 
like a family guy or something like that. He could do something like that and it would be obscenely brilliant. He's not even got really writing credits on anything else. Like he's done this and he's written a few books and done stand up and stuff. Like it, it's very odd. I don't know if like family and stuff has got a part to play in it. I think, I mean, I saw an interview with Bill Bailey in 2010, 2012-ish. And he was like, oh, well, and they asked him, you know, will there be any more? And he was like, oh, good. no, D- Dylan's, you know, just hiding out somewhere with a packet of cigarettes and a bottle of wine. Like, <laughs> actually, just, yeah, like, actually, like, you got you to, gotta, like, coax him down from his uh, his recluse life. But, yeah, I do get the feeling that he is a massive introvert and probably doesn't enjoy the limelight very much, uh, which is a weird quality in a comedian. But there, it's not unique by any stretch, but it's always unusual. A bit of a lost charm, really, and that's not a an Irish sort of uh, <laughs> racist sort of joke. But he is a bit of a lost charm, lucky charm. That's what it. That's the, that's what I'm playing at. There's a link there, there somewhere. Go. So, have you got any trivia before we go into our uh, just roundups? I've just got a very. So, I, I wanted to find something on maybe books they talked about in the series, but it's always difficult to find like the cost of books and stuff because there's just so many versions and I just couldn't be asked. So I was a bit lazy, right? Most expensive book uh, ever sold. I wanted to know that. And then the most expensive this Shakespeare. This is tangential as you'd like. This, has this got anything to do with what we're talking about? Yeah, it totally has. It's a bookshop. <laughs> okay. So a 1623 first folio um, version of Shakespeare uh, sold not that long ago, a few years ago, for how much do you think? Uh, a first edition of a Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's an early edition of one of his first um, collected works. Oh, it's a collection, a collected work. It's so. a collected work, so yeah. It's not In a everything. single book or a collection of books? It's a single book. Oh, right. Oh, wow. So his work's in a single book? I, I believe so. I mean, I'm. yeah, Massive I believe book. so. In it, I'm not trying to catch. I'm not trying to catch you out. I'm just trying. To... I mean, you might be, to be fair. <laughs> but <laughs> I believe that, this... not that I have anything to base this on. I'm trying to get information on something that I have. Yeah, yeah totally. I, no, I have limited information. No, no possible guess on. I mean, knowing what things go for now, I would feel that surely that has got to go for. It's got to be in excess of a million. Surely, I'm, I'm overreckoning it, but it's got to be worth a lot of money. Surely. It's a mill. Bang on. Oh, god damn good. So the most expensive book ever sold. The Bible, original edition one? Well, it is a religious text, but it's not oh, that. Right. It, it's the... Uh, it's surprising. It would be an American thing because they would have the, the market for it. So it's it's called the Bay Psalm book, and it was the, the first kind of collection of, um, of, of, of psalms uh, written in North America. Uh, written in 1640, so around the same time as the Shakespeare book. Um, and that's worth more money? A, a, a staggeringly amount more that's money. ridiculous, America. You've got, I know, got no it? heritage, and I don't care about this. Get over yourselves. How's yeah. it got more money than Shakespeare? I, I, I couldn't agree more, because this is why I wanted to... Fi- I actually looked for the most expensive book first, I saw this, and I was like, surely there's a Shakespeare that's got to be up and close. What mug is buying this and... And paying so much money for this thing that I've never an heard American, of. an American who's trying to pretend <laughs> they've got history. But to be fair, that that goes back further than I thought. Americans had history. I don't think they had a history. I mean, at yeah, 1600s. literally the the first thing written, <laughs> the first in, thing in, that exists in America, written by by the 
Europeans in North America. Okay, well, this has got to be something ridiculous, 10 or 20 mil plus, I guess, in order to dwarf the other. $14 million. God damn, I've absolutely nailed that as well. (laughs) Yeah, Special skills, book values. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I I don't know why you pay 14 times as much for an old prayer book than you would an original Shakespeare works from around the same period, but apparently people did. Uh, So yeah. That's my uh, random quiz questions of the day. Let's call that. I think we can call that an end. This is a great success. I will probably continue to occasionally dip into this show over the coming weeks. I have found myself, believe it or not, I have watched over a series of Goodnight Sweetheart. I'm so angry that you've done that. I'm so angry. I really want to watch more of that. It's it's really basically it's become the thing I watch like if I'm if I'm just not tired yet, but I want to just you know sit and watch something for half an hour. That's now the thing I've been watching has been has been Good Night Sweetheart. If I'm if I'm on my own, if I'm not watching something with the missus, uh, if she if she's gone to bed and I fancy watching one more of something, I I watch an episode of Good Night Sweetheart, and that's been my thing for uh, the last well, well month, well, and I- it's been great. I, I I've almost I don't know how you're doing your bottle of wine, but I've quite genuinely almost done my bottle. Um, so I I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on uh, series two of Goodnight Sweetheart. I don't care how long this lasts. I'm just I just want to know. I just, I'm just going to talk to you about it because I, I want to know. So you might as well talk to me about it I, on pod. I, I I think I'm I have actually just finished series three which is the end of the uh, original cast. You've watched two series more. I might have. I hate you. Why haven't you said anything about this? You've been so secret squirrel about it. <laughs> I haven't not said anything. I thought I'd wait and bring it up on pod. Um, <laughs> secret squirrel, by the way. I'm not going to let that pass. <laughs> you never heard the expression secret squirrel? I haven't, but I, I, I'll, I'll note it for future reference. It's not even a wildlife thing. It's just a thing. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it, it, it's really good. I've really enjoyed it. It's uh, it's been there's been a few. Ep- the the my main takeaway has been there is one hundred percent enough there for someone to do a podcast to do an episodic podcast on it. Absolutely no doubt. There's mm. enough there with all the history and stuff. Uh, there, I've had two or three issues where like, okay, this episode was a bit dumb, and this thing you've done here doesn't make sense, but. Apart from one or two kind of fairly notable flaws, just the general feel of it and everything has been really good. They did a few interesting things which were clever that I didn't see coming. Um, and the way it's kind of evolved has been really good. I'm I'm a very nervous about the um, the actress changes, though. The, you know, you're on, you're on the, the cusp now, hey? Well, yeah, I'm basically there. I think I might have one or two episodes left of Series 3. I can't, can't remember, but I'm very near the end. So has it got has it got uh, slightly or progressively a little bit better, a little bit worse, or basically just stayed the same as as what we thought in series one? It definitely carried on for the second series carried on quite well. I think in the third series uh, they've actually almost I can see why maybe both the girls wanted to leave because they've almost taken a step back, arguably. Right. Okay. Uh, in in the female characters and, and got a bit comfortable. Of, yeah, a little bit. I, I don't. I I can see what they did. I won't give it away. But there are like two. There there are a couple of sort of notable changes, and it, it doesn't it, necessarily it, do any favors. 
No, I think it does weaken them as characters. They take away a little bit of their agency in a way that I think would annoy me if I was the character because I think they were getting bigger and they've kind of been diminished again. Uh, but so I, I totally get that, and and I hope that the new um, the new actresses and the new uh, series do kind of bring in some some new changes because I'm still wondering how every, every episode I'm surprised that there's a lot more to do. <laughs> but there is and it's all interesting and and it's and it's kind of funny there's enough jokes in there to keep me amused but it's mostly just it's so easy to watch it's just nice light entertainment and it's right up my alley i can see why rich is a real big fan I, he was gutted we weren't going to go and do the whole thing um and i i see why there's a lot there nice well you're making me want to watch it so i might go and drunkenly start to attack uh series two okay so it's pretty obvious um the roundup for this uh we we obviously love this show um by the sounds of it we we've both watched it and been watching it for 10 years plus uh it it has a huge place in sort of my chronological mind and timeline of of british comedy and i i think i've probably rewatched i've probably watched the whole series through I reckon six or seven times plus. I would say quite easily. I'm probably on three or four, uh, and I, and and I love it. I, I love Dylan Ran. I, I love Bill Bailey, and I love Tamsin Green. That there are three brilliant ingredients there for an outstanding show. It, it I, without even having to watch it, I know that the evolution of the show when we get uh, the 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 relationship between Manny and. Bernard evolves really well. The end of this sh- series, it kind of goes into a bit of a a father son relationship, and then eventually, sort of, Manny leaves the nest and goes to this other bookshop. And I, I really love the directions. Oh that- shit, that's so good! I forgot it's about so that. Good. Uh, that's, that that might be my favorite episode. My favorite like part of the show. The Simon Pegg's uh, yeah. Oh, Simon Pegg is so good. I think it definitely. It, it it even finds its feet a bit more as as the storylines get a little bit more uh, adventurous. Not a lot more adventurous. They're simple, but um, a little bit more out of the box. And yeah, it, it is a really really great show. Uh, and I, I think it's probably up there and, and genuinely one of my all time favourites. And just because I'm I know, I'm a bit close to the bone, and I like randomness and surrealism and. I like pushing the envelope out a bit. It, it plays into all, all of the things that I love. So I, I love this series. I'm really glad to have talked about it. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I've, again, as always, covered half of the things that I've written down, but um, could easily do uh, quite a few episodes on, on just praising this show. But there's there's not a lot of bad about it. And it's uh, it's a bit of an English sort of heritage not heritage, I don't know what the word is, but it just it just fits nice in the in the in the the British comedy oof. It it really is. A, <laughs> it's, it's a really good uh, a really good thing to have there. Yeah, I feel like it's pretty understated, um, which is one of the things I really like about it. I just think it's the right level of um, mass appeal and the right level of weird. I think the young ones reference was a really interesting one that I hadn't considered, but you know, still a channel for comedy it's got like that same kind of mass appeal easy watching thing as 
other kind of big channel for like comedies like you know your peep shows or whatever but there's just enough kind of weird and wonderfulness there and you do often genuinely not see the the twists and turns coming because of that sort of surreal element it really gives them license to do some weird and wonderful shit so yeah really enjoyed it really enjoyed watching it i'll probably finish watching it through at some point over the months um but i am now very intrigued to see what our next show is going to be Exactly, and I've just been poising it up. So uh, Bobby has pulled his finger out and added a few shows into the uh, into the list. I think you've actually I think you doubled the size of the list. Have you actually literally doubled the size of the list? Yeah, I've gone from twenty two to forty two. So nearly double. That's not that's not double, is it? Well, I, I had more, but there were double ups. You'd already put them. All right, so it's me choosing this time. So I'm going to hit the little random number generation. We've got a number, we've got a number, I don't know what the bloody bingo call is. One bet- between 1 and 42, what's your number? Oh no, it's not a great one. I, on. I've, I've, it's 19, I don't know how I feel about it. Oh, I don't feel great. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like it when you put it on. No, I don't I don't like it, but that, that was the whole idea of this premise. It was you that, that wanted to put things we didn't want to do on here, because it would be fun and interesting. <laughs> okay. So it, it's shameless. The UK version. I obviously that goes without saying. Um I did at one point when I was I don't know, fifteen, at some point throughout its run, uh I did watch some of it. More than a series? Uh I'm pretty sure no. I wa- I'm pretty sure I watched a couple of series of this. And I'm so pretty sure it- I'm pretty sure I didn't not hate it. I, I I think I liked it enough at the time for it to be watchable, but I wasn't passionate about I it. I think I just, for me, I was fascinated by the fact that it was completely different and a bit raunchy, and I was watching it at like 15. So I, I'm not <laughs> going to lie, I'm pretty sure that was a big element. <laughs> uh, so this started 2004 to 2013. So yeah, I'm pretty sure I was watching like a bit of the first or second series then. Wait there two seconds. I'm just seeing if it's available to watch anywhere. It's all not all four, sweet. Yeah, great. I think it might also be on Netflix. One thing that we haven't done, which I keep meaning to do, is is just see what's available to watch where before we actually select it. But thankfully, Shameless is available on all four. So uh, if you haven't watched it or you are aware of it or want to brush up on it, you can watch it. Um, I, I'm not. I'm not looking forward to watching it and enjoying it as a show because I think it. My my gut tells me it's mediocre. However, uh, I'm 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 interested to to look at something that I thought was mediocre when I wasn't analysing it, and then actually to look at what structurally and uh, how it's written if it actually is a good show or not going it going in with that analytical mind we could find that we actually really loved it who knows it was really popular it, it it's massively popular and it can only be massively popular for a reason i mean that 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 means nothing to me there's plenty of things that are massively <laughs> popular that are absolute tripe but uh yeah i mean I, I watched some and didn't hate it, but then again, I was a teenager and therefore my opinion doesn't really count for much. <laughs> there there are seven episodes in the first series. Okay. How long how long are the episodes? I'm going to check now. They are... 
Oh, no, they're 50 minutes. 50? 50. Jesus. I'm, are we about to dedicate like six hours to this? God, we are, aren't we? All right, that's happening. There we go. Six it hours. be bloody good. Oh, God. I've, I mean, it's your fault you put it there. <laughs> good. All right. Well, well, weren't, uh, we doing, weren't we doing vetoes? Are we doing vetoes? <laughs> <laughs> we already agreed to the list. All right, let's uh, let, let's see how this one goes down. This is the first one that we're going to tackle where we're not uh, hugely enthused because of our curiosity or because of our love for it. It's definitely in this area of limbo. So uh, if the podcast is shit next month, it's not our fault. We didn't know. But we'll uh, we'll give it a try. Maybe it's great. Maybe this is the winning formula. We'll we'll certainly give it a go. All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna pour my very last glass of wine, and I am Good going effort. to go and watch Goodnight Sweetheart series two. I think because you've made me jealous that you're two series ahead of me. Nice. Well, enjoy. Let me know what you think. All right. Well, thank you as always for uh, for joining us for what's becoming just a entirely random uh attack on various british comedies but uh i'm having fun especially uh, almost a bottle of wine down so i hope you've had fun as well too bob uh absolutely i enjoyed that a lot and i am uh curious for for our next episode all right we will try and smash them out before next month but uh you know life gets in the way so no promises all right thanks very much for uh for listening and we look forward to next time cheers cheers everyone thank you very much jay cheers bob mate thanks very much for listening to the podcast if you'd like to get in touch with us you can find us on facebook forward slash only fools brothers or on twitter we're at only fools bros or if you want to send us a longer message you can email us at only brothers at gmail.com Also really appreciate it if you could give us some sort of rating or review on your podcast app of choice. Thanks very much. Goodbye.